celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Talk Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Right, that's such a Kiwi thing, eh? Let's just let's just do it, and we'll let you know results do the talking, and we, we won't show anyone that we're proud of what we're doing. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Paddy Main is an absolute class act. From a young age, he has been getting amongst all aspects of physical and mental sporting challenges, which has taken shape in a journey full of snow, surf, mountains, rivers and roads. He's been a ski patroller in New Zealand for many years before making the leap to study, live and work in Australia. He now has a full-on dual life, both as a paramedic and an athlete, his days and nights will be spent saving lives and helping others. And somewhere in between, he managed to fit in massive training blocks. We're talking up to three, four plus hours at a time, or much like today, squeezing it in when he can. With his sights set on the Half Ironman World Championships in August 2023, it is a pleasure to welcome you, Patty, to talk training, mindset, and more. Where and how are you today? unreal i i have goosebumps right now i've never had an intro um quite like that i felt like you encapsulated my whole life um and that was unreal <laughs> um i'm well thank you cheers grace um yeah it's, it's an honor to be on here and to chat with you um and to i guess provide a bit of insight um into what i do uh and especially being a kiwi and and living overseas as well um so Today's been just a, um, in a nutshell, it's been a one of my uh, days off. I work a um, four on five off schedule, um, which includes a um, two day shifts, an afternoon shift, and then a night shift, and then I get five days off. So it's a pretty cushy schedule, um, but then um, as you're aware, I then cram all of my training into those days off. So today's day, three that I'm off and today started at five o'clock um, with an hour and a half uh, pool swim um, with a squad with some other athletes that I train with. Um, I then went home, picked up our border collie who you'll see roaming around the back, um, took him to the park and we ran uh, 15K, I think it was. It was an hour and 10 minutes. Um, and then just squeezed in a little strength session in the garage and then lastly I've got about 30 minutes of Pilates to get done so that's my training day today and that's a very typical day tomorrow's even more training wow so you say you start in the pool with like a squad how much of your training is with other people versus by yourself I wish I could train with others way more I get such a kick out of it um and I definitely train harder but because of my schedule, it never lines up. So I reckon 90% of my training is solo um, and 10% I would probably do with other people. Wow. Okay. So that's a yeah. lot of, that's a lot of time in your A lot own. of time for thinking. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So to get into my first question, I decided I just need to take a moment. That is a full on schedule just for today. So emphasize the impression how impressive that is and I do want to kind of take a step back could you talk us through your journey in career and in sport sure um so let's go career so yeah you alluded to the fact that I've been involved in the outdoor industry and I think that sort of really drove home my passion for the outdoors and the, and just the feeling of being outside and you know what yeah 
how it makes you feel being in the elements. Um, so ski patrolling was my life for about four years. Uh, I was jumping between New Zealand um, and then went over to Canada chasing winters. And that was awesome. Um, and then I really got my first sort of taste of trauma. And I loved being in a position where I, you know, got to be there for people having probably the worst day of their lives and, and just be that person that can um, take them out of um, such a horrible experience. So I kind of wanted to then upskill. And then I thought that starting to be a paramedic would suit me really well. My dad was a doctor, so I kind of grew up in like a medically orientated family. So at this point, I was, um, I'd made my way over to Australia. I was, I'd just come over on a surf trip and, I, and then I met a girl and ended up staying. And then I sort of just fell into life in Aussie. Um, and then started studying, did, did a, a bachelor's degree in paramedic practice that took three years, worked full time during that as well. So that was real full on time, got qualified, then got a job with New South Wales Ambulance um, and now I've been on road for about four years. That's the career side of things. And then sporting was, I, yeah, I guess quite a, quite a different journey. I think like... For me, everything kind of kicked off like, and I know we'll get into this more because um, I've, you know, I've had a look through the content, so I'll just touch on this briefly, but what kind of really kickstarted my sort of fitness journey was way as a coping mechanism. So when I was 15, my parents split up and my mum moved to Australia and that was a super tough time in my life. And that's when I first started running. And that was about the time that I met um, Kelly McClan, who who I know you know, who your sister knows, um, and she was a real role model, a real inspiration, and then directed me towards endurance sport. So through school, got a taste of adventure racing, loved it, but, you know, never took it too seriously, and then kind of sort of fell off the um, endurance sport pathway throughout ski patrolling, just because I was so focused on, you know, on my skiing um, and exploring and traveling always remained sort of fit and healthy like I've always been regular in the gym and surfing and and you know the occasional run but then again it was through a real challenge in my life when I lost my dad uh in 2021 and I'm more than happy to go you know go into that because it was a crazy time um, of my life but basically I just I really needed a way to funnel lots and lots lots of energy that I had and there was a real temptation to uh, just sort of fall off the rails and, and you know, and, and drink and, and all sorts to, to numb the pain. Um, and then I just went, no, I'm going to, like, I need to take control here. Um, and when I was in, this was during COVID, like when New Zealand went into strict lockdown, to get back to see my dad, who was um, terminally unwell, he'd been given three months to live. To get back to see him, I had to, do a two-week hotel quarantine in Auckland and that was just like that was torture and he got really unwell really quickly and had alluded to me that you know that things weren't looking good and I might not get to see him um, and I was ready to smash a window and, and crawl my way down the side of the Pullman so I um, would because it was so strict in there they wouldn't even let you run like you know they had a little um cordoned off courtyard about 10 meters by 10 meters and they had cones set up so you could walk clockwise laps you got in trouble if you walked anti-clockwise i tried that that didn't go down well with the new zealand defense force they didn't find that funny 
Um, I tried to get everyone on board. I go, guys, let's go anti-clockwise. This will be hilarious. Um, and then I tried to jog in there. You know, imagine jogging 10 by 10 by 10 by 10, you know, with 50 other people that are walking uh, in circle. And then I also got told off for that because jogging created perspiration. And, you know, at the time when COVID was going to kill the entire population, that was the worst thing on earth. So then I found myself sneaking into the the stairwell, the like fire, you know, the fire exit in the Pullman, sneaking in at midnight. I'd set my alarm to wake up when everyone was asleep and I'd run laps. I'd go up and down. I'd set my alarm for an hour and I'd just run laps and I'd just feel amazing. It was just getting out so much energy because I was hurting so, so bad. And then as well as that, a friend of mine who you may know as well, who we went to school with, who did adventure racing, she dropped off. Uh, her old road bike and a wind trainer uh, and that was just like a, a godsend hey so that got sent up to my room and then I just started the thing didn't fit me it was like a size small um, I've had very little experience on a road bike and I was there like with my back just killing me and I'd sit there and I'd just spin for two hours just dripping sweat and in that time I then thought okay I'm enjoying this when I get out, I'm going to buy a road bike. I'm going to train up. And I found this race in the Coromandel called K2, which was a 200-kilometer road cycling race. Um, and so then when I got out, then I was just like, right, I need to keep going with this, train up. Um, and luckily, Dad had responded really well to his um, radiation and his chemo. So he improved rapidly. And um, it, was, it was amazing that I you know, got to see him. And he was, you know, we got some really special time. But throughout that journey and like I said he was given three months he lived 10 and I was in New Zealand for you know the, for his end of life for that entire that entire time and I just like for me it was just crucial I had to wake up every morning and just do some crazy missions so it was biking it was running I started swimming just in this random brown lake in Ohopo and I couldn't swim to save my life I was sort of I call it swimming it was more just drowning yeah, and I guess that built some crazy endurance fitness base. Um, and then by the time all of that was over and I got back to Australia, I was like, right, I want to do a half Ironman or, you know, and eventually an Ironman, but I thought better off start with a half. And then everything just fell into place. Hey, like I went down to the pools and I met this awesome, this awesome chick who's a close friend of mine now. And she introduced me to who's now my coach, Tim Reed. And I had no idea who this guy was. I knew nothing about triathlon. It turns out that he had been a professional triathlete for 10 years. He won the world champs in 2016. And anyone that knows triathlon is just like starstruck by this guy. So I then was like, mate, I, you know, I really want to get into this. And I started training with him. And then he took me on as one of his athletes and put me on a program. That's when things got serious. And that's when instead of just doing huge, crazy long missions and coming home, you know, and collapsing on the ground, um, which is how I broke my back when I was in New Zealand. I just trained too hard and then had a faint at 3am and broke my back. Um, I then had to start training smart. And so on his program, he was like, right, you got a lot of energy. I think you've got a lot of potential, but let's, you know, let's be smart about this and let's set some goals. Just, yeah, on his program now for about two years and started off um did my first half Ironman in down in Huskisson which was epic I think I finished it in like just over five hours and he was really impressed with that I had no idea whether that was fast or slow 
kept training, did another couple. And then by the time, then at the end of last year, I raced down in Melbourne and I did my, I did a half Ironman in four hours and eight minutes. That got me eighth place. And then a month later, I went to New Zealand to race over in New Zealand. And then I made it onto the podium and I got third. And that is what has qualified me to go to the world champs, which is in Finland uh, in a couple months in August. So that's where we are now. So we're building towards um, the main goal, which is um, just going over and having a red hot crack at the worlds and just seeing what I'm capable of. Wow. Patty, thank you. Firstly, sorry uh, for your dad and the loss and that whole experience that you had to go through hearing. I can, I can feel the frustration, the emotion, all those things. So thank you for sharing that. And yeah, we will get into what is your why, but some other things that you brought up there is like with Callie and with your coach now, there's been a couple specific people who knew more than you knew and knew your maybe saw potential in you that you didn't see for yourself. And not that they took you under their wing, but they've helped you and they've molded you. And yeah, like where you are now, the rapid succession to go from five to four to podium to world champs. Does that momentum like motivate you even more when you start seeing those results happen is when you're being guided by someone who knows what they're doing? 100%. 100%. And I think, um, I think them sort of expressing, you know, that they do see that potential in me. And then I start, when you combine that with then seeing the progress yourself, that just feeds the hunger. Hey, that is just pouring fuel on the fire. And, um, and you just want to just see what you're capable of. Hey, so it's just like, all right, that was good. Like what more can we do? You know, what more? It's just, it's never enough. Yeah. And you said too about training smarter. I think, like I, I know more about the rowing element, but sometimes with athletes, you want it so bad and you want it right now that you're just going to pump it out and do as many reps or do everything you can. But that is not to your point, training smarter and you suffer an injury and that puts you back. So I see you two ripping the, um, is it the RPG? Um, yeah. Yeah. RPG. That's the, um, that's my coach's um, business who, yeah, that's Tim Reed's coaching business. So Yes, I'm very proud. Always proud to wear my RPG kit, racing it. Love it. Yeah. Awesome. You need that. Eh? Although you train a lot by yourself, it does take a, a huge team, even in training and then on race day, to do the transitions, to have the fuel, to do all of that. So yeah. training smart, 100%. Training smart, yeah. And and on that note, like I think one of the hardest things about the sport is being disciplined in that sense. Like I used to just go, you know, I'm going to train. And for me, I wouldn't feel like it was productive unless I came home and I was absolutely cooked. Whereas like, for example, this morning, you know, my run this morning, cause I'd done a hard swim, I had to, it was an easy run. So it was, um, you know, an hour and 10 minutes. And it was just like zone one, zone two, which f- for those that don't know, it's a very low heart rate zone. And it's just like, I'm just running around in circles around this oval so I can give my dog a good run and just keeping an eye on my heart rate and not letting it too high. And you just, I've learned now that that is so much more productive than day in, day out, just burning matches and blowing your gasket. So it's been an adjustment, uh, but it's just so, so important. It's funny too, right? You say an easy run. 
Whereas the goalposts always move, you're operating in this high performance area where that is an easy run. Whereas for other people, that's a life event to be running an hour and 10 minutes or something. So to almost stop and appreciate where you're at right now is it's just very impressive. So I'm sure you know it, but to remind yourself that that that's not typical to think that that's an yeah, easy, that's yeah. an easy it's, run. It's yeah, it's really like it's good that, that you shed light on that because it's so important and it's something that I do struggle with, especially because now I'm surrounded um, by other, uh, you know, really competitive athletes. I train with some professional athletes. And so the standard is always up here and, and I'm like here wanting to get here. So, and especially in the pool, um, like my swimming is my Achilles heel. Like com- comparatively, I'm a terrible swimmer. I shouldn't say that because, yeah, my swimming has done this. But it is so important just to go, hold on, what I'm doing is incredible um, and, and not to be hard on yourself and, you know, and try not to compare yourself to other athletes because everyone's got a different story. Yeah, 100%. That feeds to our second question and we've touched upon it, but as with all endurance athletes, the, the question has to be asked of why, what is your why and why do you put yourself in these environments, you enter these grueling long races What's Patty's why? Yeah, I think I'm, I, I, short answer, I don't know. The why does change a lot, but I know that initially, um, you know, I, I told you the story about my dad and that was 100% the why. That was fitness for me has always been the best way to deal with, with mental health. Like I've suffered in the past with anxiety and depression. I think we all have at times. And I've learned that I can, you know, harness exercise and get the most insane endorphin hit. And so I just, yeah, when, you know, when I went through that with dad, I went, this is what I need to do. Um, And then throughout that, then that sort of, you know, the goalposts, like you said, a goalpost move, things changed. And then it became less about coping and more about, um, what, what am I capable of? I think that's the why right now is how far can I go? I'm not a professional. I don't race professionally. I don't race for money. Um, I don't have any sponsors. I'm just a very, I'm just a competitive hungry age group athlete. And that might be, you know, that might be my next goal if, you know, depending on how we go at the worlds is looking at becoming a professional. But for now, it's just like, let's just, let's just keep pushing the boat out. So that that's my why. Thank you. I, I love that for a couple of reasons. It's touching upon too, like maybe the next goal or a couple goals down is this is professional. You have the ambition and the work ethic, but it actually takes, at least I think, and I won't speak for you, some bravery to say like, no, I actually want to pursue this as a profession because you need to put yourself out there and you're only going to get there if you put yourself out there. But I think something is not just Kiwis, but people in general, it's hard for us to make that commitment to others and say like, no, I have this lofty goal and I'm going to go at it full force. Do you find that? Yeah, hundred percent. And I think what's so important is you've got to be okay with, um, with being dynamic with, with the goal um, and things do change. And, and it's, I think I um, have always deep down been like, you know, once I started getting, like started seeing the results I was like oh maybe I could be a pro maybe but I didn't I never said that to anyone but now like I'm saying it more often but I'm also like well 
for now, that's sort of what I'm thinking, but that may change, you know, going forward, like my partner and I, we might decide to have kids and then that just is a whole, you know, that would just completely change things um, because um, triathlon is such a selfish sport. And as it is, like my girlfriend is pulling a lot more weight around the house. I do my, I do my absolute best, um, but it is such a selfish sport. She gives up time. She organizes ship swaps to come and support me at my races and like, yeah, if we had a, you know, a kid in a, in a couple years time, I don't want to be that absent dad. That's just focused on his own sport. That's horrible. You know, unless it became to the point where I was making money and that was my way of providing. Um, but sadly, as you would know, with professional sport, uh, particularly in New Zealand, Australia is there is no money unless you are at the very utmost top 1%. But yeah, I guess I'm just drifting away from um, from what we were talking about. But yeah, it's okay to hold yourself accountable to your goals, but then it's also it's equally important to be okay if you're not making that and to be okay to tell yourself and tell others, actually, you know, the goals change now uh, and not be too hard on yourself. And this is a case of do what I say, not what I do, because people that know me well are constantly saying, don't be hard on yourself and you're always too hard on yourself. And so that's that's a real focus of mine throughout my athletic ambitions is just to um, just continually be proud of what I'm achieving and and not be critical of what I'm not achieving. Yeah, absolutely. And I love mm. what you said about the dynamic goal because even before we started, I was saying like with the podcast for me, I want to get into journalism and it seems like a a good project that I can do at my own time. But as I've done it, I've actually found the things I thought I would enjoy the most aren't what I found is with every conversation like already with you I'm writing things down because I'm like oh I'm having these really profound aha moments and I don't do it because there's this imaginary goal at the end I've actually found as I'm doing it I'm finding joy in little pockets of coolness that I didn't even think I'd find because I think at least for me if I'm so focused on the end goal I'm not allowing myself the ability to be mobile and shift and yeah. maybe pursue something as it comes up. Whereas, yeah. yeah, like you said, if you're dynamic about it, um, you, you don't restrict yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we live in a time now where we, instead of having one career for our entire life, so I can't remember what the exact number is. It's like at least seven different careers yeah. over your lifetime. And, um, you know, so you do need to be open, you know, and it's, it is about who, you know, and, um, so, you, you know, you might come along and just meet that one person that changes everything. So, yeah, I, th I think that's a, a really great mindset to have with your career. Um, and what an epic way of going about it, you know, starting a podcast. I think that's awesome. Thank you. I have to add to what I always remember is when Paige, so my sister Paige and Patty did Sir Edmund Hillary, which is like the adventure racing thing for high schools in New Zealand and I did yeah. it myself with Kelly I remember Paige yeah. said Paddy was like the pack horse he would take on all the packs that people had to carry and he was just literally would never stop and have a smile on his face while he was doing it so when I feel like I got re our paths re-intertwined and I see what you're up to now I'm like oh of course it makes perfect sense he's in this space so it's yeah, I say that again to just take a moment to show like you've been on this journey and you've had so much growth and turbulence and all these things but I've just seen you at like point A and point B and I'm like 
of course he's ended up here. It makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing's changed. I've always loved the pain. I always will love the pain. <laughs> what is, and this always just fascinates me from an athletic point of view, is what's your go-to meal snack for pre and post training? Like you've said today, what, essentially four training blocks in one day? How do you feel yeah. that? Yeah, um, I'm very fortunate that because of the, you know, the amount of energy that I expend in a day, I can get away with eating virtually anything. Um, and, um, and I do need to be careful with my weight. Um, it's sort of like a, a sweet spot where my weight needs to be, you know, too heavy. I'm powerful on the bike, but I'm slower on the run and I've got a little bit more float in the water. Too light, you know, I can't push the power in, into a headwind on the bike. I can run really well but I also don't have the strength in, in, in the swim. So I just, I weigh myself regularly and that kind of does dictate my um, calorie intake. But what is amazing is when you do push yourself the way that I do as an endurance athlete is your body becomes very, very efficient at burning energy. So when I first started training, like when I was in New Zealand that first year, I lost 10 kilos in a year. Um, you know, I could attribute a lot of that to the stress, to, you know, external things that were going on. But I, a big part of it was that my body was just like, wow, I'm now burning three times as to what I'm consuming, you know, calories in, calories out. If you, you know, if you've got less calories going in than what's coming out, then you're going to lose weight. Whereas now, say I might burn 5,000 calories in a big training day. I may only, you know, eat two and a half thousand if I'm lucky and I'll, and I'll be able to maintain my weight. So your body just becomes this super, super efficient machine. And I, I do a lot of training, like on my sort of low intensity, longer rides, longer runs, I'll actually do them, um, not, not all the time, but I'll do specific fasted sessions. And that is so my body learns to mobilize its fat stores. And I don't have much fat now, but it's a, it's a, it's a more efficient way because it doesn't matter how much you eat the carbo load the night before, how much, there's only so much energy you can take in when you're racing at a high intensity, your body can only absorb so much. And so you're eventually going to become basically hypoglycemic in the latter stages of those races. So you need to be able to mobilize fat stores um, and your body needs to know how to break down fat. And unfortunately, sometimes break down protein muscle cells to produce energy. But what do I eat before and after? Carbo loading is a bit of a myth. That's sort of like an old school thinking, you know, just like carbo load like hell and you'll just have energy stores for days. But we, we don't want to do that anymore. You don't, you basically, you want to just keep it super simple um, and you need to do what, you, what your body's used to. So I'm talking specifically before a race now, like you don't want to then suddenly go from eating a meal of 600 calories to eating 1500 calories before bed because your body's just going to be like, what are you doing to me? But it's eating simple foods that your body's used to that are not known to create inflammation in the guts. The guts can be a real make or break thing in endurance races. So uh, typically um, I might have white rice with say a stir fry, you know, but I'm, I'm using soy sauce. I'm not using a packet of, you know, processed mix and then just heaps of fresh veggies um, and some chicken. It's well balanced. Um, the reason I say white rice and not brown rice is because you, you want higher GI. Um, so it doesn't, you know, because low GI foods break down over a time, you know, they're slow releasing, whereas high GI, you can, you can use that a lot faster. So that's good um, before a race and training. 
I don't do anything too special, to be honest. And to be completely honest with you, I don't know, like some of the professionals that I train with, like no one seems to do anything too crazy because end of the day, it's just like we, we are so limited with time because of our training and we don't have the money. We don't have chefs, you know, so you just got to be, um, I just do a lot of meal prepping and I just eat simple. I try to eat as many whole foods as possible. Um, I try to stay away from the middle aisles in the supermarket if I can. Middle aisles containing all of the MSG, all of the processed foods, the refined sugar, all of that. You shop around the ring, you're going to get your fresh produce, you're going to get your meat, you're going to get your dairy. Um, and the less it's been interfered with, in my eyes, the better. But this can change, like, you know, after a big training day, like, I'll just start craving hot chips. Like, always happens on a long ride. If I get to about three, three and a half hours on the bike, suddenly I'm just like, I'm tasting hot chips. And then every, all of that will be out the window. And I'll just be like, I don't care. I'm going to eat, like, you know, hot chips until my heart's content. And I'm also, like, you know, I, I talk like I'm, I'm really diligent, religious with my food. But a problem that I've been dealing with, and I'm trying to figure out whether this is related to mental health, you know, which could come back to my work or just could come back to, you know, external stresses in life or whether it's to do with the way that I train. But I've been binge eating and I never used to do that. It's only started happening the last like six months. And so like I'll eat a nice healthy meal at dinner um, and then I'll just, and then I'll have seconds and it's just like, I can feel my body filling up, but my brain is just wanting to keep eating. And then even after seconds, I just won't be content. And then I'll like go rummaging through the fridge, rummaging through the pantry. I'm usually pretty good because I don't keep, um, you know, really like bad food in, in, in the house. So often it leads me to a big bowl of porridge with some honey on top or a scoop of protein powder on top, which is, you know, we that's, that's, that's healthy, right? But the thing is, it's just my body's telling me no, but my brain is telling me yes. And then I'll go to bed and I'll just start. And then that will, that will feed a bit of self-loathing. And that's why I say it's something that I need to figure out um, what the root cause of that is. And maybe it's not just a calories in, calories out thing. Maybe it's deeper. Maybe it is, you know, a bit of mental health um, because then I'll just start feeling really bad about myself. And I shouldn't because I've just burnt 5,000 calories in the day. But I'm sitting lying in there with my stomach just stretched, feeling like, crap and I'm like oh no I'm gonna be digesting all of this tomorrow you know when I wake up early and so yeah again be, be you gotta just be easy on yourself and not be too critical and yeah <laughs> yeah because were you too eh, going back to the fact that you train so much by yourself if you had the ability like if you're with other people maybe that's something you could talk through and that's why it's even great being able to talk that through with me because it's like yeah, when you say it out loud, you're like, oh, why do I do that? Is it because I should have, is it something practical? Like maybe I should have eaten earlier in the day and spaced it, but you have such a crazy schedule. And to your point, especially in Australia and New Zealand, it, it's good to be kind of agile with what you eat because if you get too fixated on having a routine of training foods, then if you deviate from it, you're like, oh shit I you know maybe you're super suspicious or something but yeah yeah you you gotta wonder I think for me the way I, I look at it and just hearing you briefly is it, things are often connected with our mind and our body like you said and they're kind of working maybe not with each other in alignment so 
I wish I had some wise thing to say to you about that, but no, just thank you for sharing it. And yeah, I, I, no, yeah. And I, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's just made me, it's opened my eyes up to, you know, think a little uh, more about eating disorders because so many people have them these days, you know, and, and yeah, I think there's definitely, it's just, it's good to be mindful and, and think about, you know, why am I doing this? So yeah. And yeah, to, yeah. I'll keep you updated if I, you know, <laughs> if I, if I do find some profound insight into the, the binge eating. Yeah. But on the note of nutrition, what I think would be cool to tell you about, because a lot of people just don't know this because not many people have experience with endurance sports, but is race nutrition on the day. So I'm talking, I'm not talking about breakfast before I'm talking about when you're actually racing. So you, when you're swimming, you obviously can't take in any nutrition or else you'd probably aspirate and drown. But say on the bike, that's like when you really want to hammer in the nutrition because it's a lot easier to absorb it on the bike than it is on the run. So for my race, I on the bike, I try to get in about 100 grams of carbs per hour. Now, all of that nutrition goes into one bottle with about 600 ml of water. So that bottle has 250 grams of sugar in it. Like you think a can of Coke is what, like, I don't know, is it 50 grams of sugar? I'm not exactly sure. Maybe around there, around yeah. So we're talking five cans of Coke in one bottle. Um, and that's my nutrition. And and I won't go into the details, but my I made a post on Instagram around the last race that I had in Port Macquarie. I just had so many things go wrong. And um, one of them, unfortunately, was um, my nutrition never made it onto the bike. Um, so I had a puncture in transition while I was getting ready and I left my bike with the bike mechanic who very kindly you know fixed my puncture while I got ready for the swim and I was like he was wheeling the bike off to go and fix the puncture and I was like oh man I don't have my nutrition on the bike here's the here's the bottle that needs to be um, redistributed into my aero bottle on the bike so this bottle needs to go into that bottle on the bike and he's like yep got it cool and I'm like and this bottle is just water that needs to go into my hydration system on the front and this bottle is a spear that goes on the back so I was putting a lot of trust in him only because I was running so late because I'd slept through an alarm. Anyway, I go off to swim, did my swim, swam terribly because I was so stressed because I nearly missed the race and, um, and then got back, jumped on the bike, no nutrition, no water on the front and no water on the back. And we have aid stations along the course. But like I said, you, if your body's not used to like, I, that's all I train with is that specific nutrition on the course. They just, give out I don't even know what it is whether how whether it's got sugar in it or no sugar where it's just electrolytes but my hands were so cold because it was pretty cold that um when I went to grab a bottle of water and a bottle of electrolytes I dropped them I should have slowed down I was moving too fast through the aid station so I did half that ride with zero nutrition and then when I finally got nutrition on board it was it was in the the, the second half of the bike ride so I just couldn't absorb it and it all fell to pieces but nutrition is so important on race day um and yeah if you ate like if you had that on a, on a normal day it would not be good for you a lot of professional athletes actually have really poor dental hygiene because the amount of gels that they eat and you know all that liquid nutrition because it's just sugar so after like a long ride where i'm taking in heaps of carbs i'll like come home and brush my teeth <laughs> oh crikey yeah and i i know we we talked a little bit when we were messaging about that past race and it's shit when you have the tough days, but that's where you learn the most. So it sounds, and just from hearing you talk, you are someone who's very self-reflective. So those mistakes, you know, knock on wood, won't be happening again. 
so humbling hey so humbling if it and if it always always goes to plan then you've got you know no planning around what happens when something like control happens so um yeah it was like straight back to the drawing board and it was like okay cool the fitness was there but the organization around the race the logistics like that needs some work for sure oh well that made me think of a guest i had once uh rod corbin who's a high performance sports psych and he talked about part of high performance is being able to perform like when you need to and also more than just what we think it is like often we look at that final race day but it's the performance about the prep and yeah the the nutrition and all those other elements that feed into it so it sounds like you're harnessing that whole element of high performance um and I pulled a quote from you where you're saying you're not very good at sitting still which we could defer from here yeah and you yeah. just love physical challenge so this is tough but what qualifies as a challenge for you well, that's changed a lot. You know, I used to get such a kick if I'd go for a 10K run, I'd come back and I'd be like, that is me done for the day, feeling great. You know, it was an hour in the gym, but man, I'm just, yeah, like I don't want to sound arrogant, but I, I'm just so, so much fitter now than what I used to be. So, you know, a challenge is, I, I don't like, I, I don't know. Um, Like obviously like the race is so, so hard. So that's, that is the biggest challenge. But in terms of training, I never train nearly close to the level that I race at. So I think for me to go in and really challenge myself physically now, I'd be doing myself a disservice to my overall training productivity, if that makes sense. So, you know, I, before I met my coach, it was actually the day before I met him, I ran, I just got back from New Zealand. So I was trying to just readjust uh, you know, I'd, I'd lost dad. I couldn't fly back to New Zealand because we we're in a lockdown. Finally, the borders opened. I was allowed to fly back. Got back to Australia. I was trying to settle back in. And again, turned to my good old trusty friend, Fitness. And I decided to do this marathon running from a place called Ballina and run all the way along the coast to Byron Bay, which was 42 Ks and 20 Ks of that was on soft sand. And so that was a that was a real challenge, right? That was hard as. It was in a... Uh, it was in the Australian summer. Um, I hadn't put like, you know, this was pre becoming, you know, having knowledge around endurance sports and, and fitness. This was just me hungry, hungry to hurt, hungry to suffer. And I did that well and truly. So anyway, I made it to the other end. I think it took me like five hours to run the 42K or something. Maybe it was a bit quicker. I was actually quite surprised. Um, and I was eating like Vegemite sandwiches on the way. And I had like a camel pack on and like having to find water to refill on the way. And so that was a huge challenge, right? But then I just, I paid for it. Like for three days afterwards, um, I was like, I was wearing like orange. I vomited that night. Um, I just got like, my body just went into shutdown. I think I was just so dehydrated that uh, I just couldn't stop shivering and vomiting in bed. Luckily, I dated a paramedic. So she was able to come home and resuscitate me with fluids. And that, you know, improved my state a wee bit. Um, but I learned from that, that like, it's not beneficial to challenge yourself too much if you're working towards a race. But geez, I love it though. Hey, like I'd, I'd love to just be able to not give too much thinking to what I'm doing next week and just go, right, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. Like in New Zealand, so I, I mentioned breaking my back. Um, this is probably a great example of um, a physical challenge. I was like, I need to do something crazy because my mental health was so, so bad at this time. Dad was so unwell. You know, we were 
it was towards the real pointy end of his end of life. I hadn't slept well the night before. I was lying in bed, rolling around, um, just feeling like crap. And I was like, okay, tomorrow I need to wake up and do something crazy. So I'm planning this at like 2 or 3 a.m. And I decided that I was going to wake up stupidly early, pack a bag with run gear and lots of food and lots of water. And then I was going to ride from Hamilton out to Perongia on my road bike. Then I was going to hide my road bike in a bush. And then I was going to chuck on my run gear. Then I was going to run to the summit of Perongia, then run along the ridge, which I think was, you know, 10Ks fear and back maybe, run down. Then I was going to run a flat 10K, then jump back on my bike and then ride back home. And so I, I virtually hadn't slept. I should, I, I should, this was just no, no thought into it whatsoever. Got out there, hurt so bad. It was only like a, it was like a 45K ride, which, you know, for me wasn't huge at the time because I've been riding a lot, but with the backpack and, and nothing was feeling good. Got there, did the run, got to the top of the summit, you know, got um, all the way along the ridge, got back, got down, did my flat 10K, jumped back on the bike and I was just hurting so bad. It was like getting dark. It was, this was like a full day thing. And I'm riding back and I just start feeling dizzy. I vomited while I was on the bike and I was just like, oh no, like I just got to get home. I'm about 20 Ks from home. I was like, I can do it. I can do it. And then I just got dizzy as, fell off my bike, like not seriously, like just slowed down and then just felt wobbly and just sort of like fell off onto the grass and then ended up having to call my sister to come and pick me up and, and my girlfriend and, and they took me home. And, and then it was that, and you know, then I, I again vomited that night, like just classic dehydration, not enough nutrition. Then woke up at four in the morning to go to the toilet. Got up out of bed too quickly because my blood pressure had been so low because I was dehydrated. I just fainted, fell back over the bed frame um, and hyperflexed my spine over the edge of the bed and I broke my T7 and T8. So that was in 2021. And then I had 12 weeks. It was a surprisingly good recovery. It was a minor fracture. Like it sounds real bad. You broke your back. Like it wasn't too bad. It was what they call like a transverse wedge fracture. So it was just like through two vertebrae, I just had like a transverse fracture. So 12 recovery. And it was the best thing that could have happened to me at the time. Absolute best thing because I was using fitness to cope, but in a way that was unhealthy, you know, doing things like that was just not okay. And it was taking away from time that I should have been spending, you know, not that I should have been, that I could have been spending with dad. It was so hard seeing him in that pre-terminal state, you know, when he was really, really unwell. By having that injury, I couldn't do anything for 12 weeks. And so then suddenly everything just changed for me. And I was like way more present with dad. And I was just so grateful to have had that experience. So that was physical challenge. <laughs> Fitness and for you seems to be this, this thing that brings you a lot, but also is an outlet. And I don't know, and stop me if I'm going down, but it's it's a vice and it's a tool for you. And it 100%. sounds like that was something where you just needed to feel some maybe other kind of pain. And that's back to that mental health element. And I wish in general, there was more, there is getting more resources, but more conversation and anyone, especially in your situation, should have access to that mental tool, the mental health and professional, because is that something you wish you'd been able to access and could have helped? I, I had access, like through work, we have the employee assistance program and they have a um, psychologist that I did at my fingertip. I just, I wasn't in the place that I was ready for that. I was, and I should have, I really should have. So yeah, it's not that there was no support 
around there was but when you're going through a hard time the hardest thing to do is reach out for that support like i was just leaning on you know fitness as advice absolutely leaning on it when you know there was no balance whatsoever but you know there's never enough support like you know i'm a uh, first responder we have some systems set up like i don't want to say that um my organization is doesn't support its employees um because there are systems set up but it's, it's not enough you know it's 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 a system that you need to reach out and ask for the help which sounds easy enough but a lot of the trauma that we experience through work is it's just like subconscious filling of a bucket when you're not necessarily aware you're not necessarily seeing the signs and i think having regular therapy or you know or regular you know a day where you're taken off road um you know and you're doing something else just to try and you know un like to empty that bucket and prevent it from overflowing would be so key but and this you know it comes back to us stoic kiwis um and aussies too i mean we're a pretty similar like culture really but we don't like asking for help we certainly have the conversation more than what we're used to but still even i'll admit like there are definitely times when i know that i should be booking into my psychologist but i'm like nah, i'm like it's all good like i'm fine i'll i'll let you know if i'm not okay i'm all good thanks and it's just like okay cool you're good yeah i'm good sweet all right let's carry on a mindset we have and it ties in to this next question I have about tall poppy syndrome because that's another just embedded ingrained thing that we have and it wasn't until I started to kind of think about like oh what is that and why don't I see that in mm. the states where I am in your words no right or wrong answer what is tall poppy syndrome and have you experienced it yeah I've 100% experienced it I can honestly say and I'm so grateful that like in my um, athletic world I don't experience it at all. Like I have the complete opposite. So I guess, um, so my, my interpretation of tall poppy syndrome is um, I just think of it visually, you know, you're, if you're succeeding, you're doing well, you are the tall poppy and then you're in a field of other poppies and those other poppies want to cut your poppy down. So you are on a level playing field with everyone else. And in my athletic world, it's not that at all. Like people that I train with my coach, even other athletes that I compete against, you know, they're like, mate, I saw your Strava. Um, you know, I saw that you did this run and these were your numbers. Like, that's awesome. Da, 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 da. And that just pumps me up. And so, and I, I'm so grateful for that. Like, but then conversely at work, I experienced tall poppy syndrome a lot and probably in a much different way. Like I know that a lot of your speakers are like often um, running their own businesses or they're sort of entrepreneurial my experience of tall poppy syndrome in the workplace is sort of quite different. Whereas I experience there's so there's a lot of burnout in paramedicine, um, you know, as expected with, with what we do, especially after COVID, we then had the floods where I work. So we don't even have an ambulance station anymore. We're working out of a university, heaps of pressure on the healthcare system, heaps and heaps of pressure and people are burning out. And with that becomes this sort of, I guess, relax reluctance to want to, to want to further yourself in the workplace so often the chat becomes very very cynical and when you're working we do nine week rosters right and 
a, and a typical shift is, is 12 hours. You know, if you finish on time, it's 12 hours. That's a long time to be sitting next to someone in an ambulance. And we do a lot, we clock up a lot of Ks. And often my experience is that I'll do a nine week roster with someone and all they're doing is whinging and moaning and complaining about this and complaining about that. And when I was, you know, a little bit more fresh on the road, I would, you know, be like, just trying to be this positive ball of energy. And unfortunately, slowly it just sort of wears you down. And I hate to admit it, but often it's, you end up sort of sharing a cynical conversation with them and this real negativity to relate. It's almost like that, yeah, that being that positive person, people are just like, they want to bring you back down to where they're at. And they want you to sort of share the same views. And when I, and I, you know, I, I try my hardest to come to work and be like, right, today's going to be a good day. I am going to treat every single patient that I go to like they're a family member of my own and I'm going to love them. And I'm going to be so empathetic and I'm just going to be grateful that I'm cruising around in an air-conditioned Mercedes-Benz doing my thing and it's all going to be good. And then you sign on and you jump on and your partner, the phone goes off and then your partner's like, oh, why are we going to this? This should be, they should have booked in with their GP, you know, and because we do a lot of work that isn't emergency work, you know, you know, someone's got a cut toe, they got a runny nose, you know, and you go and they're there and, and it does sort of bring you down. But it's so important just like this is the, this is the nature of the job and this is the work that we do. And if you're living in a world, if you're creating that negativity in your own workplace, like you are shooting yourself in the foot. So I feel like, when you're that positive person, you're constantly, it feels like there are these clippy scissors all around you trying to cut you down. So you are back in that, in, in that playing field with everyone else. And I know that's a super negative approach and not everyone's like that. Like, you know, some of my close friends in the job are way more positive than me. And sometimes it's like painful how positive they are, but man, it's so refreshing. That's my experience of tall poppy syndrome, probably different to most. Thank you. Yeah, it's like an energy source to your point that for whatever reason, maybe it's not even intimidating, but I, people don't understand. Like, I love that idea of why are you so happy? Like, stop it. Because if you're being so happy, what does that say about me? It's 100%. It's, yeah, it's easier what if we can just relate. Me? Yeah, it is different than some other definitions, but no one's given the same thing because everyone's experience with it is different so for me what I think is it's the what does it say about me so if you bring someone down because they're being successful you're like oh well yeah well they're successful in the you know half Ironman versus the Ironman they're still doing an Ironman but in your situation you're saying no you experience it more with why are you so happy come on we're supposed to be tired we're supposed to not be like this and if yeah if you're yeah. being happy what am I doing wrong? Whereas, yeah, in the athlete realm, like I saw some the other day, they said, is that a Garmin? I said, yeah. They went, you're on Strava? I said, of course I'm on Strava. And then so I'm going to find you after this. <laughs> the, the, the people that gravitate towards running, biking, cycling, or sports in general, like you said, tend to want to lift others up because for some reason we've all arrived in this place where whether it's a vice, it's a getaway whatever it is we welcome you to it yeah. and yeah that's where that positivity comes from that mutual respect hey definitely yeah um, 
But yeah, it's t- tall poppy. I think the commonality that I've heard from your podcasts is that it's a reflection of the other person. A hundred percent. It's like, and you just got to remind yourself that, hey. You do. It's exhausting though. It really is. And that's why yeah. it's cool to connect with people. Like you say, we've been from the highs and the lows just in the last, what, 45 hours or so. But it's still in this positive mindset, but it's easy to slip into the, Oh, well, it's easy to slip negative, but what I appreciate with you is you have these insane stories that have shaped who you are, yet you're still smiling and you're honest about it. And that's something that I think is to do with your personality. And thanks for sharing that with the rest of us, I guess, is what I want to point out here. Awesome. Yeah, love it. I'd love to be vulnerable. I'm like one of the emotional <laughs> I'm like one of the most emotional people <laughs> ever. And I hope that, you know, show other people that by being, you know, expressing your vulnerabilities, talking about the stuff that, you know, that that hurts and brings up emotion, that it's good, you know. It's, that's is, what life yeah. is. Life is just this whirlwind of emotion and it's how we deal with it and the decisions that we make strengthens us or brings us down or, or whatever. So, yeah let's keep the chat up <laughs> thank you i am um, but the next one is and again broad but how do you define success yeah i don't know what success is to me you know i think uh for me i want to say you know it's to, like for me it's not a goal success is there's no goal that can make you successful and like like we were talking about before it's so dynamic but reaching balance I think is for me success I want to get to a point where you know I'm still happy with my achievements you know I'm talking about goals I want to be happy with, with what I'm doing whilst also making sure that my mental health is where I want it to be, making sure that I'm, you know, I'm being social with my friends because that's one of the first things to drop off with your training and it's something that I'm working on and making sure I'm not losing friendships throughout and also, you know, being there for, you know, for my partner or, you know, eventually a family. And and that's changed so much when I first got into the job pre-becoming this endurance athlete. It was, for me, success was determined by an end goal, which was to become an intensive care paramedic. And don't get me wrong, I've still got that driving force. It's just now my direction has changed a little bit and now I'm so focused on sport. And, you know, soon that might be more focused towards family. And so for me, success isn't this end goal of, you know, being that intensive care paramedic or placing in the top 10 at the world or something like that. It's just like being proud of myself and feeling accomplished and also having those other aspects of your life balanced as well. Very cliche, but the, you know, the term aorta, I believe that's what it is, uh, multi term for well-being. And they talk about a house with, you know, with four walls and they all need to be balanced. So like your mental well-being, emotional well-being, physical well-being, spiritual well-being. And, and, and that's it really. To me, that's success. That is so true. And aorta I think of often because that is something that, is pretty unique to maybe how we were taught that New Zealand Aotearoa essence of it's not just your physical and your mental separate it's the spiritual it's the emotional and yeah. if something's lagging like if I'm not feeling 
purpose and drive, maybe my spiritual is lacking, I will feel it in my emotional and my physical. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I can actually quantify that now. So with my training every week, you know, my coach uploads my program to my phone and this week, my training load, I think is 20. No, oh, I can't remember what it is this week. Last week was 21 hours or something. I know there's a sweet spot. So as soon as I, you know, hit sort of start pushing 20, 20 to 25 hours a week training, then it is just like, boom, the social, social well-being drops off. You know, then I'm sacrificing things that make me feel good, you know, meeting up with friends and um, going and watching the sunset and doing, doing that stuff because I'm just like, I've got to, got to get my pie all green. You know, if I miss a session, it's going to be a red slither. I don't like that. So that's really interesting. It's just like, you know, I, I need my training to be around that 20 hour. I got to make that work because yep, everything just starts slipping. mental health, the social well-being, definitely. Yeah. It all needs to fit in. And that's the benefit, I guess, of data and, but then like I find myself going crazy because like I do a lot of treadmill running because I live in a right. city and yeah. the the traffic lights would just cause grief. So I go, all right, I'm on oh, the treadmill, yeah. but it doesn't calibrate. And so I, I'm almost like, oh, I don't want to put it on Strava because uh, it looks, yeah. yeah, it looks like I'm running yeah. like an 11 minute mile, which is, I almost feel like editing it to be like, yeah. I swear it's faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Writing in the title, treadmill run, but just so you know, it wasn't calibrated. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, there's so much data out there. Hey, it's crazy. It can be very useful, but it can also be very detrimental because then you're constantly, you know, you're not going based, you're not going off how you feel. Sometimes my coach will give me a run and just say, don't look at the numbers, just go off how you feel. I want you to run easy, go off how you feel. And yeah. it's hard for me to go, right, I'm leaving my garment at home because I'm like, oh, but then my Strava and da da da. But the way, a good example of how metrics can be really useful is every single morning when I wake up, I check my heart rate variability. So I put on my, in bed, as soon as I wake up, I put on my heart rate strap. I do one minute lying flat and then I do one minute standing up. And it's not looking at what your heart rate is. It's actually looking at the variability between your beats. So I have a very low resting heart rate. When I sleep at night, it sort of goes, hovers anywhere between 36 and 38. And then when I wake up, in, in, um, it's it, so a big variability is actually good which is kind of counterintuitive you'd think that like you know constantly being at 36 and not deviating would be a good thing but it's actually good to have variability so say like you know it might be 36 it might jump up to 42 then go back to 38 da, da, da. that variability is is really good because what it's doing is it's it's your body that's sort of able to flip between your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system and that determines how well you're going to be able to cope with stresses for the day. This is all evidence-backed. It sounds wild. At the start, I was like, no way. You know, if you wake up and your heart rate's low, you're well-rested. If you wake up and your heart rate's high, you're not well-rested. But there's a lot of overwhelming evidence now. And all the athletes are doing it. They're checking their heart rate variability. And then my coach will be able to look at that because he hounds me about doing it. And will be like, uh, yeah, yeah, HRV numbers are crap today. So I'm going to back off your training. And then we'll be like, all right, let's shorten that ride or let's bring your heart rate down for this ride or this run. Um, it's really interesting. You know, I'm a big believer that everyone should be first. I was like, oh, my, my training has been a real good experiment for my coach as he coaches lots of athletes and he's been doing it for a long time, but he's never had a paramedic, you know, that's done four on five off and with night shifts in the mix. So there's been a lot of experiment, experimental stuff, you know, and, um, and it's been really interesting looking at, you know, 
is like squeezing training and before a night shift and after a night shift really hurts. And it's about, you know, getting the, that sweet spot of, you know, enough that I can still do my job, not fall asleep at work and then still be able to recover on days off. And then it's, and then I'm cramming the training in on my days off and yeah, having a personalized program is like so key for me. I couldn't just jump on anyone else's program. It would not work. What's the best part for you about the specific like triathlon style sport? It's the variation. Triathlon is like three sports. And I love that you've got three disciplines to build at. Like, you know, I couldn't imagine just being a cyclist or just being a runner or just being a pool swimmer. Oh, like it, and because like you can, there's just so much more to focus on. You know, you can be getting, um, you know, working heaps on your technique, loving the swimming in the pool, you know, with heaps of focus. Um, and then say you might not be as focused around your running and then next week suddenly you've got like a bigger run week and then you find yourself just like really improving your run economy and feeling great and and so it's the variation I guess and then also like the recovery is so much better than say a marathon runner because you can you know you can use swimming to still get great aerobic gains or even anaerobic gains but you can take the load off your legs because, you know, swimming is one of the best low impact sports that you can do. So, you know, you can still be getting fit swimming and cycling and then you go running and you're, you're running better than you were and you've reduced your Ks. So you can kind of use, use all three in a way to benefit each other. And yeah, but there's a lot of knowledge to gain. It's like, you need to, oh, this is well beyond me. I'm not, full triathlon nerd like a lot of people out there I just I, I just love endurance sports seriously Patty this is very exciting and I know these next few months are going to be full on for you and the fact that you've been able to spend time with me today and is there anything you want to say or even as a time capsule no I'm stoked I'm stoked with the chat I think we've covered <laughs> covered all aspects um but um yeah, I'd love to chat to you again, you know, maybe after the, the Worlds, you know, or in a year's time and, and we'll see see how we um, see how we've progressed between now and then, see what direction this crazy world has, has taken me and taken you and I've said, I've said enough. <laughs> yes, I'd love to do that with yeah. you, like check in. I know yeah. August is um going to be here probably before we know it. Clean as, clean as, love it. It's been <laughs> fun, it's been real fun. It's therapy in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really yeah. is. And it's it's a it's a huge gift to have the conversation and then be able to share it with others. So I'll say it a million times. Thank you. And my sign-off question I ask yeah, you. Yeah, hit me with it. <laughs> so if you had to have one meal, and this is hard because you you have different trainings, but if you had to have one meal for the rest of your life, what's it gonna be? Oh, oh. <laughs> This is an age-old question. Um, one meal. What's not gonna bore me to? Yeah. I want to say pizza. One because I love pizza, and two because you can change the toppings around a wee bit. But I must say, the gluten would probably start to flatten me a little bit maybe round round me around the edges but like it might flatten my training a wee bit like um but i love pizza so much and yeah you could you know you could be eating mexican on there or you could be eating italian style pizza so lock it in lock me in pizza lock it in that's a have, good have one you got, have you got one 
Yes. Um, and no shame. I love porridge. And I think almost like how you say with pizza, porridge can be turned into like super savory if you want to add some element. But for me, I tend to go like berries, Greek yogurt, banana, I'm super oh, sweet. Man. Right. Like if you want to make it peanut butter and apple, you can do that. I know yeah. people here add like eggs and stuff, which I do not endorse. Oh, but- that's that's a bit much. That's hectic. <laughs> that's that's unhinged. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a fellow porridge frother. Love it. You know, that's my go-to fill-up meal. Two in the morning, wake up with an appetite. What am I gonna eat? Bowl of porridge. Perfect. Oh, Patty, epic. And I'll keep that in mind too when we do our touch base of if you've uh, changed your mind on what's your what's your chosen meal. But seriously, mate, good luck with training. Thank you for your honesty and your authenticity and what you share because it's pretty powerful stuff. And that's the that's honestly the goal for me. So I've got so much out of this conversation. Thank you. Epic. Oh, well, thanks for reaching out, Grace. And I um, look forward to catching up um, in the future sometime, mate. Thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk. We'll see you next time. Feel free to check us out on socials, YouTube, and the website. Thanks for today's guest, and we'll see you all next time. Take care. Be kind.